Um, how are y'all? Y'all doing good? Yeah? Okay, so um, I was going to start off with a question. Have you ever asked yourself, what is the meaning of life? It's like one of those, like, I feel like we should be, like, meditating right now. Um, I Googled it. It's interesting when you Google things, and this is what I found out. There's several, several little things. All right, so let's go to the first one. These are quotes from just random people. Life has no meaning. Each of us has meaning, and we bring it to life. It is a ways to be asking the question when you are the answer. It's clear, right? I'm done. I mean, <laughs> there you go, guys. Mic drop. I'm out. All right, what's next? The true meaning of life is to plant trees under whose shade you do not sit, expect to sit. Okay, sure. All right, the meaning of life is to live a meaningful life. Duh, of course, guys. If you want to be meaningful, then just be meaningful. If you want to have meaning, then be meaningful. All right, do I have another one? I'm not sure if I have another. Yes, what is the meaning of life? To be happy and to be useful, the Dalai Lama. Um, which I guess, in that case, I probably failed at life, like a lot in my life, right? Because I'm not always happy, and I'm not always, I'm pretty lazy, honestly. Um, so I'm sure you've all asked your things, and spoiler alert, the purpose and mission of our life is to glorify God and to then share God's glory to the nations. Just, just throwing it out there for you guys. So hopefully, though, as we've been going through the book of Luke, um, we've been able to kind of see this. Like, as we've been following Jesus, you've been able to see the mission of Jesus and all he did and the compassion that he showed to people and his love for people. So I hope it's allowed you to kind of ask this question and, and think about this. So we have been following Jesus, and as they've gotten closer, Jesus has started preparing his disciples for when he is about to leave them, right? Like he's about to get crucified, so he's about to leave them, and then he's also preparing them for when he is going to come back to them. And so he is setting it up for them because they are about to enter Jerusalem. Um, so they're on this road to Jericho right now. From um, They're about to enter Jericho. And funnily, not funny, but interestingly, the road from Jericho to Jerusalem is the same road that they talk about in the Good Samaritan story. So it's the same road. It's a very popular road that everyone goes to when they're headed to the Passover, which is what he and his disciples are doing right now. And so several things are going to happen along the way. Um, but what we're going to see is that Jesus doesn't hold back his compassion any of the times, even though his death is looming over his head. Like he knows he's about to enter this place where he's going to be arrested and, and all the things, right? So if you want to turn to Luke 18, we're going to be in verse 35. So it says, As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting on the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So right outside of Jericho, we come across this blind man begging. Um, so it's strategic because this is a very busy road. Um, and it's almost Passover, so a lot of people are passing him by. Um, now, back then, if you had a disability, it would be very, very hard for you to get good work. And then if you didn't have family, you would have, like, little to no support. And so this is really probably his only option is to beg for money for him to make, have any, any type of living. And so, um, so this man has reached this low point. 
And he hears all this commotion, and he cries out to Jesus. And did you notice what he calls him, though? He calls him Son of David. So this is actually the first time in the Gospel of Luke that we're hearing Jesus be called this. And it's basically like him saying, calling him Messiah or the promised king. And so that's a big declaration, right? Because Rome is in charge, and they already have a leader. They don't need, want another king. And so he's calling Jesus king. And so that's probably why the people are shushing him. They're like, dude, shh, like, don't call him that. Um, but he is, I, don't, I love how adamant he is. He doesn't care what the people think. He is just focused on Jesus. And so Jesus goes up to him, and he's like, what do you want from me? Like, what do you want me to do? Like, he doesn't know already. And so this, he's giving this man a chance to voice what it is he really desires. And he could ask for money. That's what he's been asking for other things. But instead, he decides to go big. In verse 41, he says, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. So this man showed his confidence in Jesus' authority and who Jesus was. Like he, he knew Jesus was Lord, and he knew Jesus could do this. And because of his faith, then he was healed. And then we see that he immediately begins following Jesus, and his life is just altered. So then right after this, Jesus enters Jericho, and he meets another man of a very different social standing. So in 19.2, it says, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was of small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. So we can probably think of this story like we did when we were kids, right? Like you heard this story when we were in Sunday school, right? You heard the little song, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. I mean, you got to like have the Scottish accent and makes him like even cuter. Um, so like we, we remember this story and we have compassion on him, but I think that we also forget who this man really was. Okay, so he is the chief tax collector. So he's not just a tax collector, he's the chief. So he has like made it big. And he has gotten very rich off of cheating his own people. So he's like a traitor, and he's a, um, a thief, and therefore the people don't like him. And so that's probably why they don't budge and let him through, right? Like he has to go on his own down the road so that he can even see Jesus. And so he, this man is very much living outside of God's own law and living just with his own wealth of his own making. And so while Jesus does have compassion for him, it's not just for outward, it's because of what he sees inside this man. He sees how destitute his heart is and how empty he is, trying to satisfy himself with his own wealth. And so he not only approaches him, but he says, I'm going to dine with you and stay at your house. And so Zacchaeus is joyful, and the people around them are, like, grumbling and, like, man, what are you doing, Jesus? Like, you're dining with this guy again. Um, and I don't know if you remember a few weeks back me saying that in that culture, if, Jesus, if someone dines with you, that is, like, accepting you. So Jesus isn't just being kind and compassionate. He is saying, I am taking you in here. I am giving you salvation and redemption, and you are one of mine. And so um, Zacchaeus is pumped 
and brings them to his house. And then he even tells Jesus in verse 8, and he says, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. So he has made this life change. Like he experienced Jesus, and then he is now trying to write what he did wrong. And so it's all, it's all this money that I have hoarded and I have cheated out of people, like I'm giving it back, okay? I'm turning from my ways. And so we see Jesus reach out to this man who thought he had it all, but when he experiences Jesus' compassion, his life is changed. So it's just like the um, prodigal son story. Do y'all remember that story? We spent like a month on it. Yes? Does it ring any bells? Um, So it kind of reminds me of what we learned about God's love there. I'm not going to talk about it, I promise. I have like one line about it. So how we see God's love for all types of people, right? Like we saw the rebellious and we saw the rule follower. We saw the um, one who has fallen so low to the one who felt like he had it all. And so we see the same thing here in these two stories. We see um, that we had one man who had lost it all and he's begging for scraps on the streets because he literally has no other option. To then we see the one who is so overcome by his wealth that he is empty on the inside even though he felt like he had it all. But both were in this desperate need for Jesus' mercy. I mean, the only thing that they had to offer Jesus was their need for his mercy. Jesus doesn't want your money or your good works. He wants your heart. And so they were both trapped in this misery, and and the only real difference is that one was just more obvious than the other. But experiencing Jesus changed them. Because you can't truly encounter Jesus and walk away unchanged. Like, we see both of them immediately turn their life around, and they begin following Jesus and wanting to be a part of of this mission of sharing with others what Jesus has done for them. So if we truly experience Jesus and understand the mercy that he has given us and how desolate we were without him, we too will live a changed life and be eager to share with others what he has done for us. And Jesus even tells us his mission right after this. He just gives it to us straight in 1910. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He came to seek and save the lost. He sought us out. And you see it, you see it throughout all the Gospels. Like he was the shepherd who went after the sheep. He was the woman who searched for the coin. He was the father who went out to the, to the stubborn older brother. And here he is seeking out this man hiding up in a tree. So this is what he came to do, to seek us out and sacrifice himself for us. He came for the lost. So on Monday, um, I took my kids trick-or-treating. Did any of y'all go trick-or-treating? Do any of y'all do that anymore? Yes. Okay, so my daughter was a raccoon, which if you know my daughter, it just makes perfect sense. She wanted to be a raccoon. And um, my son was Batman, which also makes perfect sense. Um, And so at the end of the night, uh, there was one part where I thought I lost Riley for a minute. Um, so like all the adults, we were standing in this cul-de-sac in the street and the kids were just going from house to house, right? And we're like waiting for them so I could eat some of their candy. Um, and so at one part though, Riley disappeared and thankfully it only lasted a few minutes, but of course, as a mom, I like started panicking cause I'm like, oh my goodness. Okay. She is seven. We don't know this neighborhood. She doesn't know where my car is. She doesn't know which house we were at before. She doesn't have a phone cause she's seven. Like how is she supposed to find me? What if someone took her and what am I supposed to do? Just yell out in the dark, wandering aimlessly to find her. 
Um, now, thankfully, which I was, I was yelling her name. Thankfully, it only lasted like a minute or two. She was um, ringing the doorbell obnoxiously on the door that was like all dark. You know, the house that has no light that clearly doesn't want trick-or-treaters. That's my kid. She was like, I don't understand. There's a light inside. I was like, oh, my gosh, get in here. Um, so anyways, I found her. It was fine. But I had that moment of panic. And, you know, when you think about being lost, the very word means that you don't know your way back, like you don't know where you are and you don't know where you're going. You're wandering around aimlessly in the dark. And that's exactly why Jesus came, because he came for people who were lost in the dark and don't know how to find him. That is us. He came for a people who didn't know that they needed him, for a people who would soon reject him, for a people who can't seem to get out of that grave of our own making, out of that pit of despair or overindulgence or destruction that we tend to just put ourselves into, and without him, we can't get back out of and find our way home. I was reading the other day in Psalm 25:15, and it says, My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. And I loved this imagery, like you're thinking about walking along on the beach and you get like stuck and trapped in this like fishing net, right? But it says my eyes are on the Lord. Like you're not looking down trying to figure out how to get untangled by yourself. No, you know the Lord can do that for you. So you set your eyes on Jesus and Jesus is the one that's going to pull you out of that net. Even if it takes longer than you expect him to because he needs you to learn something before you get out of that net. Typically what happens So Jesus is the light that gives us the path that we need to find our way. He beckons us, he guides us, he seeks us out. It's like a lighthouse constantly sending that light out so that ships know where the land is, so that they don't wreck, so they don't get lost at sea, so they can help find their way. I mean, just look at how much the scripture says about it. In John 1.5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. John 3, and this is the judgment, the light, Jesus, has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. John 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? So you see with these two men, Jesus shows this authority, right, that he has. And so he healed one, and he claimed salvation on the other one. And Jesus shows this power and authority that can only really come from God. And so right after this, Jesus just decides to start saying a parable. And Luke even tells us why he gives us this parable. And it says that it's because the people were confused, and they thought that the kingdom of God was supposed to come immediately, right? Like they thought Jesus was going to like charge in on a white horse and just like, take over Rome, because they were done being under Rome. But that's not what he does, because a little bit later, we see him riding in. This is when he rides in on the donkey into Jerusalem, right? You remember this from Easter. This is like a very peaceful, humble entrance of a king, not a king coming in for war. And so these people had the wrong idea. And so he breaks out into this parable, and it's about a nobleman who goes away and comes back to his kingdom, just like Jesus is about to leave his kingdom and then come back. And so while he is gone, he puts these servants in charge of Amina, which is a three-month's wage. And so he gives them this money, and he's asking, basically telling them to be accountable for this money that they, he is leaving them with. 
So when the nobleman comes back, the first servant says, here's my, you gave me one mina, and now I have multiplied, and I've made ten. And so he's like, great job, great job. So then the other, he goes to the next servant, and this guy's like, I made five minas. And so Jesus, or the guy, is like, great job. Then the other servant, he comes to him, and he says, you know what? I thought you were pretty severe, and so I just hid my mina under a handkerchief just in case. And I, like, kept it safe. And so um, he's even kind of rude to the man, and he's, like, accusing them which the man doesn't try to defend himself, but what he does is he gets onto him and he takes the mina away and gives it to the one who has ten. So now, this parable isn't meant for us to be taking all these things literal. What it's meaning is that we have to take our faith in Jesus seriously. Because when he comes back, justice will, there will be justice against evil for those who don't believe. And when he comes back, we will also be held accountable for how we have used our time and our life here on earth as believers. So this parable teaches us that we should consider everything we have and everything we are as an investment in God's kingdom. Like that is our mission. So, I mean, that means everything. Like your life, your school, your family, when you suffer, uh, how you use social media, how you use your time, the way you treat your body, what food you put in your body, or what other things you put in your body. I mean, everything is to be used for the purpose of furthering God's kingdom. Everything. Which totally changes the way that I think about everything in my life and every action I take because I think, is this furthering God's kingdom or is this pulling me away from God's kingdom? I mean, it goes back to Luke 10, Luke 19.10 when Jesus tells us his mission is to seek and save the lost. I mean, that's our instruction. That's how we use our life to further God's kingdom. So our salvation, God's gift of grace, is not meant to be hidden under some blanket to just hoard for when we want it. But instead, we should, it should move us to then extend to others so that they too can find the light and receive this wonderful gift that God has given us. You know, I think it can be easy for us to separate ourselves and judge others and put people in categories. I mean, I think Jesus' ministry really pushed back against that mindset, right? Like, it's not like I'm over here and, you know, those guys are over there. I mean, we were all over there, and it was Jesus who came in and pulled us out of it. Nothing we've done, and it was regardless of whatever mess we've made ourselves into, but somehow our mess is better than their mess, right? You know, whenever I was a senior in high school, I decided that to go to the University of Texas. And if you remember, I'm from Lubbock, Texas, which is far away, and it's very much tech world, and also it's very, very conservative. And so a lot of parents were coming up to my parents, and they were like, I cannot believe you are letting your daughter go to UT. She is going to turn into a hippie, and she is going to go crazy. Right now, right then, it was the number one party school in the U.S. because Hook'em Horns, we had won the national championship. And so, I mean, they were like, she's going to go insane. It is so liberal there. You know, all the buzzwords we like to use to put people into categories, right? And so my parents, thank goodness, trusted me and trusted that I was solid in my faith enough to be able to go. And yes, I was pushed. Yes, I was challenged. Um, but you know what I would say? Jesus doesn't put people in categories. Like, wouldn't you say there is sin in every culture, in every 
way that we live, everyone. And so does Austin like to push things that are not biblical and that I don't agree with? Absolutely. Do they do it more than other cities? Sure. But you know what I also saw by living in that culture? I also saw a lot of good. And I saw a lot of people that are just like you and I who are struggling to find their place. You know what I love about Austin besides the delicious food at every corner? You get to hike in the middle of town. And you know what? You get to be you and not worry what other people think. Like, I could show up in sweatpants and, like, greasy hair and not care that people are judging me because everyone else does their own thing, too. Like, you can show up in a Halloween costume when it's not Halloween, and it's just another night in Austin. Like, nobody even looks. Um, So it's nice, right? Like, you don't have to pretend to be someone else. You can be yourself. So you can see how these ideals begin with good intentions, Right? But where it gets sticky is when you're pushed to be you outside of God's design. Because then it's no longer about you being your own person, but you being your own God. Or trying to cover up discontentment and putting on this other identity as something else. But you can see in any culture, any lifestyle, you can see the humanity behind it still and the good intentions, even if there's wrong execution. Now, I could stand back and I could judge And I could say, how dare they do whatever? Or I could see a people in need of a healer and a savior. And a savior that will not just cover them up with the next thing to fix fix whatever problem they have, but instead offers them living water and truth and true satisfaction and contentment that can only come from their maker. I could have compassion on people who maybe haven't experienced God's love yet. And haven't discovered maybe that's what they need instead of the next thing to fix them. I can weep like Jesus weeps when he approaches Jerusalem and he sees these people that are about to reject him. He weeps over them. So following Jesus means that we will love others the way that he loves us. And he didn't put people in categories. We should have compassion on people who are just as lost and trapped in their sin as you once were or maybe still are. So we don't look to others to judge, but instead we reach out to people who desperately need to hear the good news of what Jesus did for them on the cross. Because maybe they're stuck in the dark searching for this light. Maybe, maybe they just need to see the light of Jesus to find their way to true freedom. Because oftentimes we look for other things to try and give us that freedom, but it doesn't offer freedom. It offers enslavement because it doesn't fix our problems. So in response to what Christ has done for us, we should then share his news and allow others to see that light and experience that freedom. All right, I'm going to pray. Lord, we thank you so much, God, that just as we get to study the life of Jesus, we see the compassion that you have. We see the love for you have for all people, Lord, no matter how far we've fallen or how little we think we've fallen. Lord, we all desperately need you. I just pray that we can um, not let other things divide us, Lord, but that we would just look to you and know that you are the ultimate fulfillment in our life. You're the one who brings freedom from any of the things we're stuck in, Lord. And I pray that we would look to you daily. In Jesus' name.